You're listening to Answers from the Akashic Records, a world of empowerment service from Angel Rose and Ahanu. Okay, you're very welcome. My name is Ahanu, and on behalf of my beautiful twin flame, Angel Rose, you are very welcome to this World of Empowerment session where we are going into the Akashic Records and we're going to ask questions specifically today about the Tunnel of Light. Is the Tunnel of Light a trick? And this is part two. And where this is originating from is because originally we did a Tunnel of Light uh, session, Akashic Records session, and it was the single most YouTube video that we did that attracted so much attention and people really wanted to know a lot about it and what was going on after death and was it a trick and so on and the types of questions and and responses and comments that we were getting showed that people were genuinely thinking deeply about this it wasn't just a casual kind of a religious dogmatic response to it they were really really intrigued by this possibility and since then of course we have found that we've got lots more questions and these are the types of questions that we're going to be asking you today we're going to be asking about do we need energy to cross over is there truth behind the egyptian and the tibetan books of the dead is it helpful for those living to pray for the dead is there deception on the way across and questions like does our karma affect our ability to be able to cross successfully when we get over there and what degree of choice do we have and is life and death a construct just of the mind and lots more questions like that. So Angel Rose, she begins by saying a prayer and then we will immediately go into the questions and we will take a short break in the middle and then we'll come back to answer the rest of the questions. So do stay with us. Okay, Hannah, but I do have to add a little bit of humor in here today. Well, of course you do. Hannah, you're sitting, the plant is going to eat you. Hannah loves his greenery. I do. It's allowed. Okay, so. Makes me feel I'm in the tropics, Angel Rose. Maybe yeah. we, we've crossed over and this is all part of heaven. Yeah, I know. This is, yeah. this is, we're going to be escorted by the palm tree. So when we're in Oregon, well, we can't get to the beach. Okay, we have the beach with us. That's exactly right, right Angel Rose, yes. All right, so um, yeah, I'm going to say a prayer first to get us in there and then we'll go from there, all right? Okay, we're ready to go. All right, got a lot of purple light here with this topic today. Uh, purple is an interesting color because it's, um, on the one hand, it does go along with um, karma, all right, and the suffering people go through and things like that. It's also can be a royal color, but um, but usually not without some sort of history of some sort of suffering or martyrdom. So it's kind of interesting that that's showing up today. Mm -hmm. Don't know how it relates, but we'll see. Yes, I got the immediate impression that it's actually quite simple. It's almost like a straight line. This whole process of, of death is like a straight line. But we have put these contours and chain and curves and well, curveballs into it. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the initial impression that I got. Okay, our first question today. Do we need energy to cross over do we need energy to cross over okay well um, I feel like sources is, is actually saying no interestingly which would go against 
A lot of things we've read, wouldn't it, Ahana? Yeah. Um, it's saying no. It's smiling when it says no because the spirit is... It's so light. It's so wispy, you know, that when it leaves the body, uh, it just naturally floats. You know, it just ascends. It's just natural for it to do that. So I'm getting a no, you don't need a lot of push. Uh, your spirit does not need a lot of push, okay? But because the spirit itself is very light and airy and it does uh, seem to travel basically on its own wings just by the quality of itself. I find that an interesting answer, very interesting. Okay, that's wonderful because, uh, in fact, it does answer a further question that we have down the road about the need for prayer for those that have died. Yeah, um, so let's go into that then mm -hmm, because, mm -hmm. because this is an interesting answer because it does bring in, um, let's just say, the consciousness of the spirit. How about that? Okay, so we're going to distinguish that the spirit itself, what it's made of, um, I, I want to say it's actually made of fire and air. Do you know? It's very lofty and light. But the consciousness attached to the spirit could bind itself um, because of its beliefs and dogmas. Okay? So, does it need prayer? Sometimes it would need prayer uh, if it gets lost. And the only way it gets lost is from its own consciousness. Does that make sense? Yeah, if you could just summarize that for me. The consciousness of the spirit can be lost. Yeah, the consciousness of, of the individuated spirit, let's just right, say. Right, yes. Okay, can be confused or lost after death, depending on its own orientation. How about that? It's a word. Its own belief systems. So what I'm actually feeling here, and I think this is where a lot of the old beliefs may come from, about needing thrust. It seems to me that consciousness has a lot to do with, you know, what happens to somebody after they cross over. Okay, because it's almost like we make our own weight, okay, by our perceptions. Our perceptions can be heavy. They can be um, full of distortions, let's just say. All right, and when you have that, then a consciousness or a spirit might not be able to move freely because it's weighted down by the consciousness of who's ever uh, identified with that spirit. Okay? But Source is making this interesting distinction that spirit itself is not heavy. It's not, it's light. It's very ethereal. Do you know what I mean? Very wispy. It's not heavy. It only gets heavy by belief structures, okay? Yes. Okay. Our next question then. Is there any deception at all on the way to the other side? Okay. Um, there can be deception. Again, but that's because of the consciousness of the person. Okay, in other words, what makes us susceptible, susceptible to deception, once again, is our belief systems and our consciousness. 
Okay. And it is has to do with us identifying ourselves with our personalities and how we see our personalities. In other words, if we if we really knew that we were spirit and we were made uh, from God's energy, which is spirit, if we knew that and we didn't identify ourselves with a a personality or a heavy dense body all right we wouldn't be deceived there'd be no deception okay it's only because we are unsure okay so here's what source is saying when you identify yourself as a person okay and you have a personality attached to your concept of yourself and you only have that okay then you will always have doubt Okay, because anytime you believe something other than the truth of you, you will have doubt about yourself. And that doubt can take many forms. It can take the form of a decision you want to make. Or it could take the form of, um, you know, is does God really love you? You know, are you going to be judged when you die? You know, all of these things go along with a false image of who we really are. So because of that, there could be beings who could waylay you along the way. They could deceive you because you are unsure of your true identity. If you truly understood yourself as spirit, or let's, another phrase we can use is your I am self, you know, the self that is the light. I am this light. Okay, if you were sure in that, there would be no room for deception. It's only all of the false concepts that are out there and false belief systems that naturally the result of those is doubt because they're not based on what's really real and true. Wow, beautiful. Yeah, okay. Now, lately we have come across this huge question about what makes a good person bad. And it arises in all walks of life. We've seen it with uh, celebrities, for example. You know, the ego gets the better of them and they take the drugs and they cheat on their husbands, wives, whatever. And also in all other walks of life. That's just a small example. And the question is, what makes a, a good person, for example, invent an atomic bomb and then feel huge guilt afterwards after it's dropped? Yeah, it's this dichotomy, isn't it, within the human being? Yeah. Uh, and we'll give our listeners a little bit of background. This this came as a result of our recent interview with someone who um, was around when the atomic bomb was being built and actually met the creator of it. And uh, Oppenheimer, right? Is that how I say his name? Robert Oppenheimer. Robert yeah. Oppenheimer. Okay. And he, uh, yes, and uh, this gentleman was actually asked to carry the atomic bomb on his bomber and he actually refused because he was farsighted enough to realize the consequences of dropping one of these things. Yeah, but we're, we're getting this question as a result of Oppenheimer himself. And here was this man who created the bomb and then when it was finally dropped, he had all this remorse. So our question was, uh, because our, our friend who we were interviewing met Oppenheimer, was talking about what a nice guy he was, how gracious and hospitable he was, and it seemed to be 
an interesting dichotomy between people who are, you know, really nice people, but yet they go and they do invent something like that, and then it gets dropped, and then they feel remorse, and it seems such a contradiction, doesn't it? Hanu? Yes. Yeah. So the question then is. What's up with that? You know, not necessarily with Oppenheimer, but what is it in the human being yes. that uh, is both those things? All right, so hang on. So Source, again, is reminding us that uh, the body is an animal body. Okay. And um, so when you, when you take on physical form, you're taking on uh, a material substance, which is... Um, a lower form of life, okay? It's dense. It has to do with darkness, okay? Interesting answer. Okay, so we're calling it an annual animal nature just to make the point, okay? But let's just say, in a way, the body is in direct opposition to spirit. The body is dark, okay? And, and we're not saying evil. We have to be careful here. Just because I'm saying the word dark, I'm not meaning bad, you know? I'm not meaning evil. I'm talking about a quality. That it, compared to spirit, which is light, uh, material, material forms are, are dense and dark. Or let's just say at least they appear to be. Because we'll have scientists and physicists come out and say that, well, no, you're really mostly empty space, you're not really dense at all. However, this particular form, because of its orientation to the earth element, all right, is very much um, almost like a polar opposite to spirit. Okay, so we have two things pulling at us or operating in us at the same time. Okay, we have dark and light operating in, in within us at the same time. Okay, so, you know, this is the reason why somebody could um, be very loving and spiritual on one in one moment, and then the next moment, you know, that other side of them comes out and plays a part. So, as that is its foundation, this is the reason why when we talk about enlightenment, we talk about ascension, talk about uh, what it means to be mystical. Um, what it means is that that other side, that material side, that lower nature, that's very animalistic, needs purification. Okay, now purification, you know, doesn't necessarily mean you get rid of it. What it means is that you recognize it, you see it, you recognize its behavior, its urgings, its desires, and then you make choices around that. It's not about getting rid of anything about yourself. It's about accepting parts of yourself and making choices around that. Okay, that's what raises you to a higher nature. That's what purifies you in the sense where your choices and decisions are based in the, in the higher nature not in the lower nature. Okay, now that lower nature, and the reason you don't want to get rid of it is because while you're functioning on the earth, all right, you may need your flight and fight mechanism if you're in danger. You may need an animal instinct to let you know there's something amiss. 
you may need parts of it, okay, while you're in a physical form and functioning around the body, okay? So again, this isn't, purification doesn't mean getting rid of. And, and I'll make the point because you and I, Ahana, uh, last week were watching a video on the Buddha, remember? Yes, indeed. And I was quite fascinated by that because the Buddha, I never knew, really knew about his upbringing, his history. But he did go through various periods where he tried all kinds of different techniques to reach enlightenment. He did severe yogic practices. He did that self-flagration, okay, to try to, you know, with the, with the thought that the body's bad, we got to punish it and purge it out. And then he came to this realization that all the yogic techniques, all the yogic techniques, all the flagrations didn't make him reach enlightenment, okay? It, it's only when you, you, he actually came around to the fact that it was, <clears throat> it was the purification of desire that actually led to peace. So, but they're making the point in this answer about the, the lower nature. It's a desire body, mm-hmm. okay? <clears throat> and there's desires that are that keep you heavy, and then there's desires that urge you, propel you more toward your God self. So when we talk about purification, we're talking about choice. We're talking about recognizing these parts of ourselves, looking into where they're coming from, and making a choice around it. Okay, so I don't know if I answered the question. Oh, we were trying to explain what is it with the human why they seem to have this dichotomy within them. Well, this is why, okay? All right. See, because what I hear Swartz saying is if Oppenheimer was, or anybody who does the, was in his higher nature only, in his mind, he would not have made the thing in the first place. He would have had an intuition that the forces he was dealing with could cause huge destruction. He wouldn't be making a weapon in the first place. Yeah. In, in if he was sense. if he was in his higher nature yeah. in a higher mind okay i suppose the way to look at that in a sense is that in in their raw state anyway these atoms and electron electrons and all of that stuff that the uh, plutonium 238 and all this the, the natural elements that went up to make this bomb are perfect in their natural state anyway and they form our creation as we know it but when they when they're manipulated by mankind and then used for negative purposes it's, yeah. and and it's the same i think lots of people draw the analogy with money for example money is benign it's 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 can be used for fantastic good mm-hmm. or it can be used for negativity just the same right. so it's the human who's who's using it that decides yes and it's the lower nature of man that when when somebody achieves f- fame or financial prosperity, if their lower nature is not purified, that lower desire body is the thing that has them use that money to build more lower nature. They're not using it for, Mm -hmm. you know, any sort of benevolent purpose. It's it's all for that small self. That's when things get topsy-turvy. Now, I'm not saying you should never give to yourself or not enjoy pleasures, but I think the point is, that if we were functioning out of the spirit awareness, that is our God and God awareness, we would be looking at, you know, the implications of things. We'd be able to be sensitive to that. And like our, we were mentioning our friend, 
he made a choice not to carry that bomb because his higher nature was looking ahead into the future and saying, well, what are the implications if I carry this thing and I have to drop it? I'm called upon to drop it. Mm -hmm. And when he looked ahead and he thought of the implications, he said, well, there's no way in my good conscience that I can do this Mm -hmm. and I will not do this. Of course, the sad thing is that the next soldier steps up well, and yes. says, yes, I'll do it. Yes, that's true. You know. Okay. But, you know, e- even the people who created the bomb, you are right. You're working with the elements of nature, the forces of creation. And, you know, to choose to use them to destroy is obviously in the realm of physicality, materialism, coveting land, coveting people, power it's all lower nature stuff Mm -hmm. okay and you are right if you took those same elements Mm -hmm. and did something creative with them it'd be totally different outcome sure yeah okay our next question what effect does karma have on the after death experience now i'm not talking about near death because that's when a person experiences this tunnel of light and they come back but i'm talking about somebody who has died now they've died and the, the karmic influence in their lives or their previous lives, what effect, if any, does that have on their journey after death? Well, okay. If any. Yeah, right. You're talking about if they're still on their way yes. to somewhere. Yes. Okay. The interim place. Is that mm-hmm. what you're talking yeah. about? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and I'll tell you, like, where the question is coming from, because we've often found, for example, that uh, a person who achieves fame in in this world, and we found this out in the Akashic Records, and when they they die, that they would have accumulated an energy body effectively. And I'm wondering if that energy body that they've accumulated during this lifetime or previous lifetimes, by way of karma, if that in some way gives them any kind of energetic thrust as they're proceeding after death. All right. Well, you know, again, Source wants to take the whole idea of thrust out of the equation because it's saying that, once again, the spirit is very light. It's the consciousness that could be heavy. I really have to remind us that that's the truth, okay? So the spirit needs no propulsion okay, to rise, okay, to rise, all right, but it's the consciousness that kind of directs what that experience is like, okay, so let's say that first, and I don't get really that karma drags anybody anywhere, I'm not getting that, and I think um, we should probably veer off and explore karma anyway in a moment, okay, because Source is making it really clear that it's consciousness that directs a person's experience. Okay, it is not the spirit itself. It is the consciousness that's uh, attached to the spirit. Okay? All right, does that make sense so far? Now, karma... Okay, karma, again, is, um, is our own judgments about ourselves. In other words, there does seem to be some mechanism within us that does have a sense of right and wrong or let's just say lower nature versus higher nature. There's some mechanism in us that really does know how to tell the difference 
okay? So when we do things or we make choices that we know on some level we could have made a better choice, you know, it will register within us. In, in this way, we cause our own punishment, okay? It's not a, a God that's doing it or higher being. We have a mechanism within ourselves that assesses ourselves. And when you have your life review at the end and you, you know, what's really happening is your own videotape is unwinding. All of the memories in your cells that you've accumulated, they're all unwinding and unraveling and you're taking a look at it all in this living motion picture and you're, you're assessing it as you look at it, okay? Right. It's not God doing it. You're looking at, oh, geez, you know, look at the effect of that. And, and I think we have a question coming up anyway about consequences. But we are looking at it in that relationship. We're saying, wow, I could have done that better. Or, geez, look what was the result of that decision. And what am I going to do about this? Do you know what I mean? And it's all about the relationship we have with ourselves and our own um, choices and decisions and what we decide we're going to do. So when you talk about karma, you know, we could be making a decision ourselves to come back and make amends for something. Okay, we could be wanting to call forth the people that we may have injured and, and go through another cycle with them, perhaps, in order to do things differently. For our own neutralization, you know, for our own growth, all right, we may decide to do it that way. You know, but it, it isn't a given that when you make a choice in a lifetime that you're not happy with, that you necessarily have to go back and experience the effects of that on somebody else. Because in the life review, you're going to feel the effects anyway. That's what happens in a life review. All those effects and all the ways the people who were ineffective you felt for positive or not so positive, you're going to feel every single morsel of that. So that is its own you know, experience right then and there. All right? But, like I say, we may decide to do many things based on what we see and feel in our review. So that karma doesn't take you, it doesn't prevent you from getting to the other side, to the spiritual planes. Okay, but once there, you know, when you're assessing yourself and you're looking at what you're going to do next, you know, that karma can come into play, right? And again, because Source is talking to us about consciousness, when you're talking about the spirit rising, it doesn't automatically mean that the spirit goes to the right back to God's Source or it goes to the highest spiritual planes that there are. And the reason it doesn't is because it is attached to a consciousness. This is individuated spirit that has consciousness attached to it. Okay? So that consciousness will determine... You know, what plane of existence does it end up on? Okay? Because it's all about vibration and frequency. And your consciousness has frequency and vibration. Okay, so you'll go to a match to your consciousness. And proceed. Okay? Or not. Depending on, once again, where you are. Well, I hope I'm getting the essence of this because there's so much valuable little nuggets of knowledge and information there. Our next question. 
uh, is both life and death a construct of our minds? Are you talking about life in a body? Yeah, life in a body, yes. A construct of our minds. Okay, so hang on. All right, well, we're going to separate these out a bit. The source doesn't want to answer them both in the same, okay? Life is given to us by source. So we don't make up life, okay? Life is there. It, it is. We have not invented it, okay? It, it exists. It has not come from us. But we are that. We are born out of it, okay? So we don't create, we're not the creators of life, although we have creative powers because we have the same qualities as source. Okay, we're made up of the same stuff. Otherwise, we wouldn't exist, we wouldn't be. However, we do, we do keep death going. Okay, so I think that's an interesting answer. Because source is kind of nudging around saying, you created death. But we'll go into that in a minute, because I think there's some history there. But we do keep it going. We keep the cycle going of birth and death. Okay, because we do believe in karma, we do believe in punishment, we do cause ourselves to be, you know, really all death is punishment. All right, and it's also the forgetting that there's other ways to get out of a body besides making yourself ill, you know, which is usually a slow death for people or getting out quickly. You know, we kind of have invented that as our escape route to get out of the body when we want to. Source is telling me that the death principle came into being when we forgot that we were spirit. All right. In other words, it, it comes from... Um, Many, many, many billions of years of identifying ourselves with a personality and a body, okay? That because we do that, you know, we forgot that you are spirit and all of the qualities of spirit, which we are not manifesting now. Okay, we're not functioning as if we know we're spirit, all right? We're functioning as if we believe we're... A, personality in a body that's subject to materialism and by materialism I mean you know the forces that act upon the material world which are do have a lot to do with the consciousness of the environment okay all right so as long as we perceive ourselves as personalities in bodies and we're in a material world all right and we don't question that ever. And we just accept these laws of birth and death. And we keep contributing to them all with our consciousness. You know, death will continue. But it actually comes from, not from source, it comes from us not living out of our higher nature. Our higher nature has incredible abilities to it. It does not, it's not bound by the laws of time and space or distance or anything like that okay it's it's free it's free I, I want to say too that you know I'll bring up the the subject of reincarnation just for a moment because 
a lot of us, you know, we want to explore who we were in other lives. And, and this is a, a way of being attached to personalities that we may have been in other lives. Some people love it when they say, oh, I was, you know, a warrior in this lifetime. And, you know, I was this famous person and I was, you know, this or that. And when you have a memory of a lifetime... Okay, then you you are reliving that whole experience. So, you know, it is true. You do live other lives. You do, you can remember. um, And you can have an experience of it as if you were there again. All of that is part of you. But it's still the attachment to those identities. And when when you move through the memories of being personalities, and you're ready to say, right, you know, I'm not attached to those anymore. In other words, I don't really care who I was. It's all over now. You know, I'm going to focus on my higher nature. Okay, so you you kind of come to this neutral place about identities where you're not invested in who was I, what did I do, what did I didn't do. You're not invested in the same sorts of things this life. You're more interested in returning and living out of your own higher nature. Because you do come to a point where you understand that that is the highest contribution you can make to the earth plane. It's to be somebody who thinks out of their higher nature, who behaves out of their higher nature, who decides from their higher nature, being able to see a bigger picture. It's a desire that is not animal-based. It's a desire based on love. And they're very different, okay? Right. Did I answer that question? I forgot Super. what you asked yeah, me. <laughs> you did. In fact, there's so many questions I get rose in the lineup that, and a lot of them are quite similar. So in your answering, you are lumping several of them collapsing together. Collapsing them, good. You're collapsing them, which okay. is fantastic. Yeah. So our next question, and uh, it's somewhat similar, but I, I just need a little bit of clarification. It's about what we invent in, with our consciousness, and you, you did answer that beautifully just then. But the tunnel of light is—is is that tunnel of light also? Um, a fabrication or a, an element of our creative conscious ability. All right. The tunnel of light. Okay. Okay, so it, it is based okay, it's based in the idea um, of here versus there. Okay, in other words, it has its roots in our ideas that we have to travel somewhere. Do you understand? Okay. Now, because we believe in that, we have an experience of it. Right. Okay. Now, I have to be careful here because because there's a belief that when you start to die, all right, your cells start to die. So they do collapse inwards. The center of the cell creates a vortex. Okay. And because we we believe in all of this, we, we feel that we're traveling through a vortex. It's what, what the experience of a tunnel is. You're traveling through a vortex. Okay? You're going from here to there. But in truth, there isn't any here or there. There's no where you have to go to. And, and that's proven by scientific experiments with the DNA, for example. And many people may have heard of these already and Greg Braden is somebody who, in his lectures, talks about this, uh, these experiments. But they've they've taken pieces of a person's DNA and put them in a petri dish, and 
took another piece of the person's DNA and put it in another Petri dish, and then somebody would take one of the dishes and travel thousands of miles away. And they found that, you know, different emotional states would cause the exact same reaction in the DNA at the exact same time with, you know, in other words, they weren't, you know, like if you were... If you were the, the the person who was sending me particular emotions, and I'm I'm when the petri dish who's here in the lab, okay, and I'm being affected by that, and my DNA will change based on the way you're making me feel. Gotcha. Okay, but but that DNA way over there, thousands of miles away, is having the same reaction at the exact same moment. Okay, so we ex- everything we experience, we experience because of perceptions and beliefs. Okay, so we experience that we're traveling as we leave the body and the cells are collapsing and they're dying. We experience that we're moving through a vortex. Okay, a tunnel getting from here to there. All right, nothing wrong with that. And it can be quite beautiful for people. All right, but it is a it is a consequence of the fact that we believe in time, and we're leaving time. Do you know what I mean? When we die, we're leaving time. Our spirit is being free from our body, which has no no. Um, our spirit doesn't have any attachments to time. Okay, it is boundless, and it's eternal. Okay, so we have this sensation because we're still attached to consciousness. Do you understand? When you think about experiences themselves, you know, we have an experience and we make decisions. Let's just say how we experience something, what an experience is like for us, all has to do with how we see ourselves, how we feel about ourselves in the world, how we feel about what's ever going on. That's why two people can be going through the exact same thing and come away from that reporting how the experience was for them and it would be very different. So does that mean that our ex- our life experiences determine the after-death experiences? Well, not necessarily, okay, because that makes you think that it's a cause and effect thing, but it's not, it's a consciousness thing. Okay, so I have to be clear about that. Right, there's, there's, um, well, how we experience that has to do with probably the mass consciousness about it, okay, or our beliefs about it and all of that. In other words, you do hear people who have near-death experiences. Most come back and say it was this incredibly loving, beautiful thing. They may see Jesus, they may see a relative, they may see an angel. But then you do have other people who say that was like hell. What's the difference? Do you know, why does one person experience it that way and another one perceive it as blissful? That would have a lot to do with the individuals, okay, and their their consciousness. And I can't say what it would be for each one. Just that here's an exact same experience and one person. Okay, so here's another example. Um, we've heard, we haven't taken ayahuasca ourselves, but we have heard of, we know people who have. And most people say it was just incredible. It brought me close to the mother. 
Uh, I was in communication with the earth. I understood this love, incredible love. Other people, it's a completely nightmarish thing. And they say, it's well, if you have a lot of fear, yeah. you're going to experience all those fears. Um, so perhaps it's some, something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Our next question is, is psychic attack real? Well, that's a loaded question, huh? Yeah. Yes, it is real. Yeah, sources say you can be attacked by, you know, entities who wreak havoc with your mind. And I think that's important to say. Sources saying that this is this is what it wants us to know. You know, it's they play with your mind, and or we could say they play with your consciousness. And we're coming back again around with the same information that depending on the content of your consciousness and the content of your mind and your doubts. Remember, Source was talking to us in the beginning that as long as we identify ourselves with a person, we're going to have doubts. We'll always be doubting because there's some part of us that knows you're missing something. What are you missing? And dark entities who are, you know haven't developed themselves or let's just say have gone too far down the rabbit hole in the opposite direction okay just love to play havoc with that Mm -hmm. it's a like attracts like thing once again okay and i think the reason source is talking to us about this is because it's saying look the only way you're going to be free all right is if you number one understand that the content of your consciousness is up to you You're the one who accepts beliefs. You're the one that accepts thoughts. You're the one that judges things, decides things. There isn't any way out unless you start looking at what have you decided to believe. The responsibility of freedom is ours. So if we get, if we're in a, we have vulnerable parts in our belief systems where we're, we're being what we perceive as attacked by dark forces. It's because there's a likeness there. I'll use another example. Uh, years ago, um, people would call me or write me about uh, having ghosts in their home, poltergeist activity types of things. And interestingly, it would only be when certain families moved in, right? In other words, were the ghost always in the house? Probably. But it seems to be in order for that spirit or ghost to have a manifestation occur, there is some sort of symbiotic relationship between the people who live there and the ghost. So it actually is a co-creative thing, even though it's not conscious on the part of the people who live there. There's some relationship. There's some energetic similarity Okay, that causes manifestation because nothing gets created on its own. You know that quote by Jesus, when two or more are gathered in my name, there is love, which really means there's a manifestation. Okay, so there always has to be some relationship. So when we experience anything, whether it's negativity or something really miraculous, all of that comes from our consciousness. Okay, so it behooves us to look at what's the commonality you know, sit down and write and ask yourself when you feel you're being attacked by a negative thing. You describe describe the negative entity 
or the experience. Write about it. It's this is the qualities of it. It feels like this, this, this. It makes me think of this, this, this. And then you say, what part of me still identifies with that mm-hmm. as real? Okay. okay. All right. Let's take this opportunity, Angelos, to take a quick little studio break. And when we come back, we're going to be asking questions like, who do we meet after we die, and why do we meet them? And by talking about this very thing, are we actually manifesting it? Do you know, are we, in trying to explore and seek answers to these things, are we actually bringing it, the, the manifestation of this reality more into reality, effectively, and thereby co-creating our experience after death? These are the kind of questions we're going to be asking. We're also going to ask about, in, 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 in doing what we do, are we somehow setting up or contributing to the setting up of a program, some kind of a mental program? Are the after-death experiences the same for somebody who commits suicide or who dies naturally? These are interesting questions we need to know. Can we artificially stimulate a near-death experience? Is an out-of-body experience a result of brain chemistry? And in an out-of-body experience, do we really go anywhere? So I guess we're going to be really taxing that that consciousness. You are. You are. I better <laughs> we go, come back. I better go have dinner in between. <laughs> so stay with us. We'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Angel Rosa Grady, and I'm here to talk to you tonight about the work that I've done for the past 20 years, being a reader of the Akashic Records, predominantly. I've evolved to this work through many years of meditation and uh, being taken to other worlds and found that we all have a library in spirit that contains our soul's journey through all of our lifetimes on this planet and others. Through my work, I enjoy helping other people find their soul purpose, look at their spirit, help them through their challenges, understand their relationships, and guide them to fulfill their highest soul purpose. I've written two books on this subject. One's called A Time of Change, and those were predominantly group sessions that we did when people had bigger spiritual questions for the problems in their lives, such as, uh, what about the financial collapse? What about uh, 2012? What about healing? What happens when people commit suicide? Things like this that became the basis for uh, group sessions that began in 2009 and continue to this day. The first book, A Time of Change, deals with questions that happened before 2012 and some leading into what would happen after. And the second book, The Nature of Reality, deals with questions people asked about consciousness, what is God, what's the origin of creation, what, is it, what about time and dimensions, what about dreams, why do we dream, and love and miracles and topics such as that. I'm also a personal Akashic Record consultant, and I'm also a business consultant through the Akashic Records. I feel these ways of going into the records and helping people in their personal lives and in their business adds an extra extra sacred dimension to their life here. If you're interested in seeing more about my work, you can go to angelrose.com 
or worldofempowerment.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world.